listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Hi, I'm Morgan, and I am going to be doing the scripture reading today. Our scripture reading is Romans 3, verses 21 to 31. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there, for there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from the works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Morgan. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Morgan is actually the person who keeps our sermon podcast going and up to date each and every week. For months now, she's been the one who takes the audio from these teachings, edits it down, and posts it online for our sermon podcast. Um, Even through this coronavirus shutdown, she's been keeping that going. So if you're listening to this sermon right now on a smartphone or on a computer, that voice you just heard is the person who makes this possible every week. So a big thank you uh, to Morgan for both our scripture reading and for the, all the work she does on the sermon podcast. Today is a pretty special day. For over a month now, we've been working our way through the opening section of Romans. We've been in Romans 1 to 3, and it's been all this really heavy, intense stuff about sin. Paul's been calling out Jews and Gentiles alike, trying to diagnose what's wrong with our world. And it's been like this this dark cloud or almost like a fog that we've been wading through, just trying to find the light. And today, this week, with this passage, we finally come into the light. Paul has diagnosed the problem, he's talked about sin, and now he begins to articulate the solution. The good news of how God has overcome sin and made salvation possible through Jesus Christ. And this passage is twice as fun for me and for all my fellow theology nerds out there. You know who you are. Because in addition to being a message of hope and good news, this passage also happens to touch on probably the single biggest debate that's raging right now in New Testament scholarship. Fun! 
Now don't stop the video, don't, don't walk away, please don't, don't leave or check out if the idea of like scholarly academic debate just makes your eyes glaze over, I get it. But I promise there's something here for you too. This sermon's going to get a little geeky. You know, we might have to put our, our thinking caps on for this one. We're going to talk about, you know, issues of translation, what different words mean in different languages and the theological meaning of that and stuff like that. That's not something we do most Sundays here. But with this particular passage, it's just really important. And even if you're not the theology nerd type, even if this stuff doesn't, you know, get you excited, get you amped up, or even pique your interest a little, I promise we're going to land on some things by the end of this teaching that will give you hope, renew your trust in God, maybe even shift your understanding of faith. With all that being said, let's dig into it. We're at the end of Romans chapter 3. Paul has just hammered his audience and hammered us, really, by talking about sin for three whole chapters. The, the universality of sin, the fact that it doesn't matter what race you belong to, what religion you're part of, how wise you are, how good or bad your life seems to be going right now, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Way back in Romans chapter 1, Paul talked to the Gentile nations. That's, that's us, by the way. And he talked about how how God's nature, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, all of that was made plain to us from the very beginning through the created order, through the earth. Human beings never should have needed religion to begin with. It should have been obvious to us from, from looking at the earth, at the world, and all of its beauty and wonder, from looking at the heavens, the skies and their expanse. It should have been obvious to us that we have a God who loves us and who wants us to share in that love. But instead of realizing all that, we ignored it. And instead we built idols. We built other things to bow down to and worship. And our society, our communities, devolved into violence and chaos as a result. And so God launched a rescue plan. God, God called Abraham's family, the Jews, to be God's emissaries, to, to partner with God in the work of restoring the world, blessing the nations, pointing humanity back to its creator. God gave them the law, the Torah. God spoke to them directly. God even entrusted them with divine oracles. But it still wasn't enough. Even God's chosen people fell short and turned away. So Paul tells us that all have sinned, all have failed, all have blown it and proven unfaithful. But God remains faithful. And when we couldn't save ourselves, God stepped in to save us. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement 
by his blood, effective through faith. This is the gospel, right? Like, this is the good news. If you've ever read a gospel tract or gone to a revival meeting, this is the message. All have sinned, all have fallen short, but God has acted to save us through Jesus. And now all we have to do to be saved is believe. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. This is incredible news, especially considering all that Paul's been talking about so far in this letter. And let me just put my evangelistic hat on for a second. If you're someone who hasn't heard this news before, my biggest hope in this teaching is that it might prompt you to receive that news, to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. But of course, I also realize with this being an online church service, there are probably far more of us watching this video right now who have already heard that news and responded to it. And that's awesome too. And let me just put aside, you know, any fears, especially of folks who've like seen me preach before, I'm not going to take any of that away from you today. <clears throat> but there are some nuances in the Greek here, in the, in the original language of this text. There are some nuances that I think get lost when it's translated to English 2,000 years later. And we're going to explore those nuances today. And those nuances might change or even challenge some of your assumptions about what faith is. But see, I think that's a good thing. That's part of growing and deepening our faith. I believe these nuances we are going to explore, rather than, you know, shaking our faith or taking apart our faith, I think this will actually make our faith stronger. So let's all put our theology nerd hats on and get into it. And the big nuance we're going to look at today is actually a Greek phrase that we find at a couple of points in this passage. It's just two words, pistis Christu. Let me hear you all say at home, pistis Christu. Pistis Christu. Excellent pronunciation, I guess. I don't really know because I can't actually hear you right now, but we'll just assume you said it right. Pistis Christu. <clears throat> Pistis Christu is the phrase in our Bibles that usually gets translated faith in Christ. Sometimes it's faith in Jesus Christ, uh, Pistis Iesu Christu uh, in our passage for today, but we're just going to keep things simple, focus on the two-word version of the phrase, Pistis Christu, faith in Christ. Pistis Christu is the answer, right? Like if the problem is sin and our, our separation from God, that broken relationship, then the answer, the solution, the, the road to salvation is pistis Christu, faith in Christ. That's how we've been translating this phrase, especially in Protestant circles, for 500 years. And that goes all the way back to the days of the Reformation in the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences. They were, they were telling people that if you want to get saved, if you want your confessions heard and your sins forgiven, if you want to get the souls of your loved ones out of purgatory, there was a fee attached. You'd have to buy an indulgence, pay for one of the bricks at the local cathedral, and that would forgive, you know, X number of sins. And the Protestant reformers 
Folks like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they took one look at that and they said, screw that noise. Salvation comes through faith alone. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. No church can sell it. The only way to find forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God is through faith in Christ. Pistis Christu. And so for the last 500 years, we've been translating that phrase, faith in Christ. The problem is, that's probably not the best translation of Pistis Christu. It's not wrong exactly. It's not incorrect. Salvation can still be found through faith in Christ. That's, that's not going anywhere. It's just that Pistis Christu means so much more than that. Let's start with the, the first word, faith, or Pistis in the Greek. If you ask your average person on the street, Christian or non-Christian, what the word faith means, you almost always get the same answer. I know this because I've tried it. I've asked When we think about the word faith in English, we usually define that word as believing something without evidence. Think about phrases we use like a leap of faith or taking something on faith. When we say that we have faith, we usually mean that we believe something even though we can't prove it. I might not have any evidence. I might not have any proof, but I believe it. I have faith. And that's fine. You know, faith in that sense, it can be a virtue. Uh, it can be a spiritual gift. When you, when you have faith in somebody, when you believe in them, uh, you believe they can do it and you encourage them, that is all wonderful. It's just not what the word pistis means in Greek. <laughs> the word pistis actually has its origins in a military setting. Paul just loved to to hijack language from Roman imperial culture and subvert it by applying it to Jesus. And there's definitely some of that going on here. Pistis was the oath that a soldier in the army would take to affirm their loyalty to their commander or their general. Think Think like a knight being knighted, swearing their allegiance to the king. That was Pistis. And in the time of Paul every Roman soldier would declare their pistis to Caesar. Now, that meant a lot of things. You know, if you declared your pistis to Caesar, it meant that you were loyal to Caesar, uh, that you served Caesar, you would even die for Caesar. But it didn't mean that you believed in Caesar without evidence, right? Like, by declaring pistis to Caesar, a soldier wasn't saying that they believed Caesar existed. No, they were declaring their allegiance to him. Now, in ancient Rome, a lot of military language would would filter down into other areas of life. So, like, by the time of Paul, there were a ton of other contexts in which pistis applied. Pistis would have been a very familiar concept to the Christians Paul is writing to in Rome. In a business transaction, pistis was about upholding your end of the bargain and trusting the other party to uphold theirs. Think about like a business contract today. If I pay somebody to paint my house, I expect that they're going to do it, right? That's pistis. 
or in a marriage, you know, when two partners enter into this civil union, when their relationship is formally recognized by the state and before the gods, the married couple would declare their pistis to each other. Pistis was relational. When we look at the relationships between teachers and students, masters and apprentices, husbands and wives, all of those relationships were marked by pistis. So how should we translate this word? We can keep words like faith and believe in the mix because I think that, you know, having faith, practicing faith, believing something is certainly one aspect of it. But a better translation, a fuller translation, might be something like trust. We might say loyalty or fidelity, maybe even allegiance. And a lot of Bible scholars and theology types looking to keep faith in the mix and maintain that connection have even suggested faithfulness, which actually makes a lot of sense. Paul has just wrapped up three whole chapters talking about human unfaithfulness. So, of course, the solution to that problem might involve faithfulness, loyalty, fidelity, reestablishing trust. All of that is encompassed in pistis, faith. And here's the news that's going to get all the theology nerds pumped. (laughs) We've only covered half this phrase, pistis Christu. And as big and as paradigm shifting as a word like pistis is, you know, once you get into all the nuance of it, the real kicker here is Christu, which is usually translated in Christ. Now you'll notice that that's one word in the Greek being translated into two words in the English, which means that right away we're doing some interpretive work here. And this is where the debate lies. This is where easily the biggest debate that's raging right now in New Testament scholarship, this is where it's heating up. This is where it's getting nasty. Bible translations are being changed over this. Seminary faculties have split over this. Professors and pastors have been fired because of this. And the problem boils down to, Christu doesn't really mean in Christ. Like grammatically speaking, that is not how we would normally translate that word. Now, yes, if pistis means to believe, if it's just like having faith, you know, in the, in the dry sense as like believing something without evidence, then sure, faith in Christ makes sense. We might be fudging the grammar a little bit, but that works. And that's how we've been translating this phrase as Protestants for centuries. But you'll notice with Christu that we're taking the word Christ or Christos in the Greek And we're adding an ooh to the end, right? Like here's your Greek grammar lesson for the week. (laughs) That that ooh ending, that O-U in Greek, that's how we show possession. That's the possessive case. Which means that that ooh at the end of the word, that's the Greek equivalent to apostrophe S in English. So if we want to be a 
bit more literal here. If we want to be a bit more grammatically rigid with this translation, Pistis Christu should really be translated Christ's Pistis or the Pistis of Christ. Now, if we translate pistis as belief or faith, well, then that doesn't really make sense. We're saved by Christ's faith or the belief of Christ? Like, what does that even mean? But if pistis is translated faithfulness, well, then what Paul is saying here, the, the good news Paul is announcing is that we have been saved through the faithfulness of of Christ. And if that's how we translate this passage, well, that changes everything. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through pistis, through faith, through faithfulness. This is a pretty major shift. And it's also a very important ongoing debate because this debate has to do with how we understand our salvation, right? Like how we understand the solution to the problem of sin. I'd say that's a pretty big deal. If sin is the problem, then how do we get over it? How do we overcome it? How are we saved? How are we justified, made right with God? Is Paul saying that we do it through our faith? You know, by by believing the right things, checking the right boxes in our heads? Are we saved by believing something without evidence? Or is Paul emphasizing Christ's faithfulness here? And the fact that Christ is faithful to save us. See, all through this section of Romans, we've been talking about, harping on really, human unfaithfulness. The Gentiles were unfaithful. The Jews were unfaithful. All have sinned. All have proven unfaithful. Except for Christ. Christ is faithful. Jesus proved his faithfulness to God by living a sinless life and then dying on the cross in our place. Offering his life as a sacrifice of atonement for us. See, this doesn't rule out the traditional Protestant emphasis on faith. If anything, this builds on it. We still place our faith in Christ to save us, but that faith is not without evidence. Our faith, our trust, our allegiance to Jesus Christ is not blind. It's not naive. It doesn't reveal our gullibility. No. Our faith, is a direct response to his display of faithfulness on the cross. The good news is that it isn't up to us to save ourselves. 
You can't earn salvation. You can't buy salvation. You don't unlock it through effort or moral achievement. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves, and there's nothing we have to do. We can trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. See, faith doesn't come easy. For some, faith is a gift, and that's awesome. That is a blessing. For others, faith can be a real struggle. It can be hard to believe sometimes, hard to trust. And that that blind faith, that sense of believing without evidence, that's just plain out of reach for some folks. And so we struggle and we worry. We ask ourselves, "Am am I really saved? Do I believe hard enough? What if I doubt? What if I screwed up and did something wrong? Am I still in? Do I have enough faith? Do I have to get re-saved? So much anxiety. I cannot tell you how many times I've had this conversation with people, good people, devoted people, lifelong Christians who are struggling, hurting, losing sleep, even having panic attacks out of fear that they don't have enough faith. See, what we've done in, in some Protestant circles is we've turned faith into its own form of achievement. Faith or, or belief in the right set of ideas can become its own form of works righteousness, its own way to earn salvation. If your salvation depends on the strength of your faith. But the good news is we don't have to earn a thing. There's no mystery to unlock, no specific boxes that have to be checked, no level of blind faith that needs to be proven. Even when we struggle to believe, even when we doubt, even in those difficult moments of life when faith wavers, Christ is still faithful to save us. We can trust in the faithfulness of Christ the pistis Christu. Maybe you haven't heard this message before. Maybe you're not a church person. Maybe you've never really heard the story of Jesus outside of like bad Mel Gibson movies. (laughs) Maybe you're watching this video because someone shared it with you or you stumbled upon it on YouTube. However you got here, I am really glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching this because this is the good news. This is the gospel as straightforward as it gets. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, but salvation is made possible through Christ. Peace with God, restoration, forgiveness of sin, that is all made possible through Jesus Christ and his faithfulness through his sacrifice for us. And if you haven't heard that message before, then I would encourage you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus, accepting his free gift of salvation and declaring your pistis, your allegiance to him as your Lord. And for the rest of us, maybe you have heard this message before, but it's always felt a little unreachable. You know, the good news of salvation in Christ has been burdened with a bunch of other stuff tacked on, you know, boxes you have to check, 
things you have to believe, a, a certain way you have to think in order to prove that you have faith. Maybe faith has been presented as something you have to earn. And maybe the, burn it, the burden of earning that faith, proving that faith, living up to that faith, has just become too much to bear. If that's you, if you're already in this thing, if you're already a Christian, the good news is you don't have to bear that burden anymore. Faith is not something you earn or prove. That's salvation through works, and we are not about that here. Your salvation has already been achieved through the faithfulness of Christ. Jesus is faithful to save you, and you can trust. You can place your pistis in his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of salvation that is offered through your son and his sacrifice. God, for those watching who, who don't know you, I pray that you might be working in their lives and in their hearts. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in tangible ways. Reveal your love for them. Call them to follow you. And God, I pray that they might be moved to declare their pistis, their trust, their faith in you for the very first time. Lord, for the rest of us, help us to trust. Renew our faith. Help us to believe that it's, it's not about being good enough or believing hard enough. It's not about earning or proving anything, but Lord, help us to trust in the faithfulness of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.